0: Ill Will Podcast, Episode 4. Today we're talking to Jacob Cook. You may know him from the early days of Despite Despair, or your new favorite melodic hardcore band, Absolved. If you hear this before January 7th, make sure you're at the Beehive to catch Mexican Coke. On January 14th, also at the Beehive, Vamacara, Momentum, Absolved, and New Local Mask, featuring members of all your other favorite local bands, like Victim to None, Takeover, devoid etc etc on january 15th over a black lung society you got mummy spent portraits and suffocator and then on january 24th make sure you're at your mom's house to catch livid rolling through with their hectic straight edge power violence openers on that are mandalore narc and bound all right let's go So tell me about the early days of Jacob Cook.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Utah County kid, born and raised. Uh, grew up in, in Pleasant Grove, you know, uh-huh. uh, all throughout uh, junior high, high school. Go Vikings. Uh, I don't really mm-hmm. don't care, though. But um, <laughs> I always globbed myself in as a Provo kid. The closest area with the scene back then. And that's really the music scene that that I grew up in. Um I mean it's funny to hear, you know, people in the scene and kind of where their entrance point was or where their journey began sure. and how eventually they got into hardcore. And I think with a lot of people, you know, of my ilk, of my age, I, I, I truly think we're seeing a lot of us come to light that started out as I guess a little too late for the late 90s skate punk wave Mm -hmm. and right kind of at the tail end of the early 2000s pop punk explosion you know Mm -hmm. Atari's uh, later Green Day Blink-182 shit like that but I was definitely my my first most authentic self as far as music goes is I was an early adopter of you know the new wave of of emo. I was a mall mm-hmm. emo kid stalking, you know, the hot topic at the university mall with all my goons and in, in junior <laughs> high trying to fill find the illest uh a tray you from autumn to ashes taking back Sunday merch. So um <laughs> that's 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 really where I it, it started out for me man is I had a, a quick stint in in punk and pop punk uh and and just just totally dove in. I had uh some friends with unlimited internet access. And we just, you know, we had a phase probably when I was 12, 13, 14, maybe um, at the very beginning of Mm MySpace, And we would just absorb and adore every bit of music that we came across. It was, everything was Bible, right? Because you probably remember back that early, you have no context or opinion yet right. of what is good, what's original, what's derivative, right? A- anything like that, right? So,
0: There's no scene just, politics, like when you're a little kid digging into the internet, you're just like, you're, it's a very fair view of things, like I like this or I don't like this, I don't really know.
1: Yeah, and spoiler alert, that young, you usually like just about everything right? <laughs> that, that you come right. across. uh, what were those first
0: those first like songs that hit you where you're just like this is my thing dude i oh my gosh so summer of 2003 my cousin
1: came from north dakota and stayed with us the entire summer and he brought the uh uh take sunday tell all your friends lp sure to our house and oh my gosh man that's that's where i started we we would listen to that all day while playing tony hawks pro skater and just every every track from that song i knew from the beginning there was there was no skips that we yeah. had um, and i think that's that's where a lot of my love for just emo and emotion in songs really comes in that was yeah. just gospel to me and i, I I I I took it all in, and it was really, it was truly the first band that I fell in love with. Sure, that I had to know everything about. I had to know every lyric. I was hitting the liner notes to 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 find out anything about them. Where it was recorded. What other bands you know are are in their scene, and and that they had the, the the thank you credits for and whatnot. So yeah. I I do remember. Um, uh, the song on that album, Great Romances of the 20th Century, uh, mm-hmm. hit, hit, hit me hard. It was this really cool kind of plucking, uh, dissonant progression at the beginning with some uh, rim uh, snare hits. I don't know all the technical terms all the time, but yeah. it, it came in really gracefully and then just goes into this barrage of, of eighth notes and um Take Mech Sunday back then was known for their dueling vocals, right? They had right. Their, their lead guitarist and, and lead vocalist consistently doing different vocal patterns that weave in and out. They back each other up and then go back to, to dueling vocals back and forth. And it just, I I was probably thoroughly convinced at this time that life would never get better and there would never <laughs> be better music than this.
0: Um, I love that. that Yeah, man. That, that so, idea because I think some people stick there and they're like, Mm -hmm. yep. To this day, they look back and they're like, that was the pinnacle of music for me. And other people, Mm -hmm. as you get older, you see like that they don't lose the fever. Like Mm -hmm. you've got to keep upping that. Um, And that's, I'm not going to jump ahead, but I still remember hearing the absolved stuff when you first shared it. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is hitting the mark just cause Ah. you know that, You know when you're as obsessed with music as everyone we know is like you've got to keep scratching the itch um -hmm. so we'll go back to taking back sunday but um no but i like i like
1: what you said man you i feel like it's important to have those feelings and it's important to evolve and move on from there and and what that does for me is that album still remains in the zeitgeist of that time i i still go back to that album every so often maybe every fiscal quarter if, if, we're, if we're keeping track. <laughs> technically and, speaking. <laughs> technically speaking. And, you know, I, that rush of feelings that I had as a, as a pre-pubescent boy fills my body again. And,
0: um,
1: there, are, there are a couple albums that still do that for me, man, where mm-hmm. I still feel those butterflies as if I was hearing it for the first time to some extent. So it, it's definitely important to, to move on from there and broaden your horizons. Right. And find those experiences more because I think if we don't, we run into those, you know, crusty. I don't want to say boomer, but <laughs> older, older generations that hold on to the idea that uh, the only, you know, the only good music was the music that happened to come out when I was in high school. Yeah. And there's never sure. been good music since like just a crock of shit.
0: Yeah, it is. It's the corniest thing, and you see it all the time. (laughs) And, like, there's memes about it, but, like, if you still have a Facebook account, like, you see that, like, once or twice a week where it's, like, I mean, we see it with ill will. Like, like, there was a – we put up a poll about singers, and a bunch of people had lists that were, like, didn't go past 1997. And it's, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, of course, Insight is amazing. Lifeless was important. These bands are great, but, man, there's been 30 years of – music made in this state since then and so even like when it's not like like overt i think people do end up do can get stuck in like their time and sort of idolize that yeah no and i think that's
1: that's that's key and that's important man that's that's what keeps me young is keeping up with new fresh things and new new contemporary bands and people and Experiences and whatnot, right? Then, other than that, you're just a crust. The crusty old dude with his arms folded in the corner, (laughs) you know that meme, like, "Oh, if only they knew I had ten misery signals (laughs) uh, shirts at home."
0: Oh man, misery signals! I got seven angels, seven plagues shirts. Dude,
1: we're (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna let's put a pin in that because I got a big misery signals moment uh, coming up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I got I got a good segue for that because knowing where like where you were growing up at that time. Locally, I'm guessing you hit right around the time of Parallax in Utah. Yes. So was that an introduction? Yeah,
1: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So I I had a little bit of time in in between there. So during my Taking Back Sunday romance, um, you know, led into a a little bit of heavier music. I didn't make it into Parallax just yet at that point. Mm -hmm. A little bit more mainstream, that's when – you know, Tooth & Nail, Solid State Records, Rise were kind of yeah. the big entities in town. Um, you know, Victory was leaning a lot more towards uh, email alternative away from hardcore and whatnot. So yeah. um, from there, I started uh, with a couple of friends. Uh, our, our first band, we were called Scene of an Accident. We were just the uh, corniest, most just generic ripoff of Everything that early Silverstein, <laughs> brand new Thursday, tried to be just okay. blatant, blatant ripoffs. But that's how you, you know, start. We had, yeah, we had somewhat success, man. Like we were, uh, this was the end of ninth grade into the very beginning of high school, and mm-hmm. you know we got on shows and and kids kids came out. I mean, a lot of our shows we would have a couple hundred kids come out between us and the other bands, and. Just probably like maybe some of your first bands almost every single show we played was with the same same five different rotating door bands uh i remember laurietta sound we played with uh early neon trees almost every every show and Mm -hmm. a band uh, that had some members that eventually turned into like imagine dragons too. okay played with um yeah just, just some other alternative sort of emo bands and from there, getting into the Provo scene, playing at places like Muse and Valor, Starry Night, is mm-hmm. where I started to see these Flyers, man. For right. Parallax and, and these other bands coming through, like uh, freaking Dangers came and played at Starry Night with with Parallax, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Buffalo Baguia from, from Reno and like all right. these other bands that, that were of that time. And that's around that time I had met Brett Brett Barrett. Yeah, he played in another <laughs> emo AFI, uh, you know, sing the sorrow ripoff band mm-hmm. with another group of friends, and they were called the Fault Line. Mm-hmm. All all while he was involved in, you know, the the underground Provo Golden Spike Hardcore scene. Been right, right. playing with another band called Malcontent, and they went on to form like Bullshit Authority, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Youth Descent, and all those BYU bands. Yeah. So getting to know him is really how I got into Parallax. It was him and him and Carlos, man.
0: Uh, that makes sense. Carlos had
1: given me that uh, Mediums and Messages uh, CD that that came out in two thousand four five. Yeah, and I I remember listening to that at at home and I I couldn't necessarily understand what I was hearing at first. Right. Yeah. From sonically a very concretely, and almost, um, generically composed music right that's mm, supposed yeah. to be a bit more digestible right how do you
0: get into the the time signatures and the the mathematic chaos that is elliot's yes. of, which is Dude,
1: elliot is just know.
0: a madman his riffs
1: make i i can't even imagine in my brain him <laughs> and charles on the drums what it even looks like to to play these rudiments live or where these notes even belong on the bridge of his guitar. Like it just, it doesn't, it doesn't click with me, but through the chaos, which seemed um, almost intentional, right? Mm -hmm. Like the chaos and the alienation that I felt was intentional. It it, I felt a sense of importance to it in the same way that I did when I was Mm -hmm. a bit younger listening to like rage against the machine on, on X 96. Right. Right. Like,
0: you could like, sense I, the substance
1: I, inside. Yes, it. exactly, man. Like I couldn't, my my little 14 year old brain couldn't peg down exactly what these words yeah. were about or exactly what the words were themselves. But I knew that these guys had full conviction in what they were screaming
0: about and that it meant something and that that shit was important for sure. That's interesting because, you know, I, I, you know, I met Elliot at guitar lessons. We were like thirteen. Um mm-hmm. and the musical influences that he was already drawing in, along with the the social political influences that Blake brought to that music, Blake Donner from Crime Think, mm-hmm. and and a lot of that really left us thinking like that was a mm-hmm. lot for Like that was an advancement from like anti racist action. It wasn't just like the surface stuff. It was like what is this like really root level like political problem in the Mm. world? And and I can't imagine being fourteen and going from great romances to
1: processing (laughs) mediums and messages. But that's a that's a
0: cool thing. That's like a really you know, to have that right in your backyard, a band like that is interesting. Yeah, man, it it really showed me there was
1: this Total counterculture in what I perceived to be this just dogmatic bubble that was surrounding right. Happy Valley, right? Like there was direct opposition to the things that we had have been instilled, instilled, it's shout out spent into us since uh, since day yeah. one, uh, you know, living yeah. living there and growing up in, in LDS households. So yeah. Um, yeah man it was nuts and funny enough we actually when i joined despite despair we inherited the old uh golden spike hardcore just merch and zine distro Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: the parallax dude and elliot and you know later on the gilmans had put together and it had a lot of these handmade zines and pamphlets about a complete guide to direct action and these (laughs) you know marxist sentiments and 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 all this stuff but um so it, it it was cool to see, uh, you know, to 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 see that that part of it too. But yeah, give yeah, me, man.
0: So give me that path from um, this the mall emo band to doing time with Despite Despair. What yeah, was what, what was, yeah. the, what was the chronology there? Yeah. So there was a bit, a little
1: bit of a transitional period. I mean, I, I learned about parallax from early on. Getting into high school, there were definitely. Provo Hardcore kids in my school. That's I went to high school with the with the Campbell twins, Cole and Clay, which were big, you know, early uh, adopters of, of Provo Hardcore too. So it had kind of always been around me. But from there, I, I went through a bit of my, uh, you know, m- metalcore sort of phase. Uh, that's when I first originally got into Misery Signals. Hearing that of go. Malice and the Magnum Heart album was insane, and it felt really in tune with my experience with parallax with them being a little bit more mathy and, 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 and a little bit different sonically. Right. So, and it it was also with Carl's voice, a level, wait, was that their vocalist back then? Carl or Jesse? I don't remember. Anyway, their original vocalist, um, just the heaviest, most uh, just, ferocious vocals i had ever heard backing up to that point some of the nastiest riffs ever and this is them coming out the cocktails of you know
0: seven angels second seven plagues like you said before. yeah and yeah i don't know if a lot of people who got into misery signals when metalcore was popular really get that they did come from the hardcore scene yeah um because like that was you know that was the moment where everything was kind of jumping mainstream you know we like Mm -hmm. Cherum was playing like headlining with bleeding through and from autumn to ashes and then all of a sudden we were booking those shows and it was like a 500 person thousand person show and it's like oh this isn't this is different and i think misery signals came in that next wave where they just they were kind of ushered into a bigger audience um Mm -hmm. but they really did come from it like that like they're super tied in
1: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, man. And I think the, the hardcore ethos definitely shown through to in, in the lyrical content. But yeah. I knew that that was probably the heaviest stuff i had listened to up until that point. But because I had only listened to the intro song, uh, a victim, a target or a target, a victim, it's one way or the other, mm-hmm. which is just chugging and panic chord sort of intro into um Oh, I'm going to say it was the summer that ended in June comes after that. And my mom comes down to my room and (laughs) says, hey, son, what's that? What's that record you're listening to? I'm like, oh, it's called Misery Signals. I just I I got it. I got it from my buddy. And she goes, you know, I I don't mind your your chaotic music, the screaming and whatnot. uh, But I think this is where we draw the line. I felt the spirit. I felt the spirit leave our home. Oh, my God. (laughs) You don't want that happening. No, dude. No, man. So it was back to spirit-filled hardcore. Hello, Sleeping Giant, but
0: okay, no, okay, no, Shout no I'm out joking. Tom. I'm
1: joking. I love Sleeping Giant, Tommy. Don't don't yeah. come at me. Um, <laughs> and she took it up and put it in in her sock drawer, and I couldn't stop thinking about the album later yeah. that night. Her and my mom were sitting in bed watching Dateline or whatever. I come up, say hello to my parents in front of her. I opened up the sock drawer, take it out, and they never said a word. And I took <laughs> it down, and I. I listened to it a little bit more quietly so
0: that started
1: yeah more of my metalcore phase a lot more leaning into from autumn to ashes early under oath and, you know things like that i i ended up joining um a shitty just metalcore kind of beatdown band we were called decima uh-huh. um, from the ruins of another band that brett was actually in that he was no longer in anymore i took over the reins of vocals and very guttural low vocals that a lot of people would never even know with me today, uh-huh. just because it's, it's just not my bag. Sure, and yeah, man, we started to get a little bit more in tune and play more of those actual probo hardcore shows at uh, Starry Night, and um, from there, it was just a complete onslaught of me getting back into not back into but into for the first time just real straight up hardcore old school hardcore some some sure. bands that really opened the door for me was uh you know uh, obviously gorilla biscuits is kind of a, a motif for this as yeah. i say a lot of people claim them as as their real step in the hardcore direction sure because uh, you know, the digestibility of it all um, the message the energy whatnot And from there, man, it was kind of full, full speed ahead with youth crew and with melodic hardcore is where I really quickly found my flavor in things. And I, I, I definitely diversified with my hardcore portfolio with, with other things that were relevant at the time too, but most authentically, I always leaned more into a lot of hardcore uh, you know youth crew revival stuff in my yeah. eyes Champion, over my dead body I loved have heart uh, yeah that
0: album was was big to me I mean that As, was that' was there, great timing for that genre like the oh, 2005 was, to 2010 was just a flourish that was
1: that that was the, that was the salad days for that sort of hardcore man that's that's yeah. what I fell in love with was the sing-alongs and the pylons man sure two stepping dancing we we had it all I remember uh, cool Your Jets, uh, their little bio on Myspace and on Pure Volume was not, <laughs> pure nothing volume. but fun, two dancing and sing-alongs. Yeah. Remember, that's, it said something to that extent. And, oh, God, wasn't that true? You know, like, it yeah just, that was everything to me. Um,
0: it was interesting at in that time, for sure, because, like, that, like me and my friends had all been playing in Cherim and Aftermath and Tamerlane and Upriver and all this stuff that was super heavy and that like that was a turn with city to city with reviver with cool your jets it was like Mm -hmm. hey let's do something that might might be a little different than what we'd done before
1: right yeah man and it's it's polarizing but not with a negative connotation and like all three of those bands including you that you just mentioned like got some some big attention man And, and kids kids showed up and i yeah, I don't want to chalk it up to just, it was something different, but sometimes that's, that's a good thing. And the urgency is there. You know what I mean? And I, I definitely felt that. I mean, around that time, 2007, uh, 2008, definitely, man, when you guys launched GCA and and the Mm -hmm. message boards and everything is, is where I took a deep dive every week and through the music archives and soaked up everything I could. Um, And yeah, man, it was around that time, towards the end of my senior year of high school that uh, it was late one night. I remember i had gotten off work. I'd worked at this uh, sandwich shop there in, in Pleasant Grove throughout high school. And I got off late. It was a Friday or Saturday night. And I went to bed and I had a dream that my buddy Kai, basis of uh, Despite the Spirit that I also went to high school with, gave me a call and asked if I wanted to come jam with them <laughs> and I woke up and I remember I was eating breakfast. I was like, oh, what a, what a strangely, like just vivid clear dream. Yeah. And I pulled up my, my flip phone <laughs> and Holy shit. There was an inbound call from Ikaka Cox. <laughs> I, I called him immediately and I was like, dude, did you call me last night and ask to come jam? <laughs> and he said, well, yeah. Um, you sounded half asleep or we thought you were drunk, <laughs> which we knew you probably weren't drunk. And because you just said, Yeah, sounds good, talk later. And just slammed the phone shut. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah, man. That's that's where it all started. They I I, I picked up one of their demos and uh, they had emailed me some lyrics. And I think it was one or two nights later. I I met them at their at their jam space and we jammed through probably three or four songs and it just again man it just made sense early despite despair was definitely really a continuation of, of parallax of rail spike right of those mm-hmm. of those old more technical provo bands and i i really gelled with it and it was it was the first time in my short musical career up to that point of just a few years that i wanted to be so passionate about something that I, there wasn't going to be any more facade i wasn't going to write right bullshit tough guy lyrics i mean there was a time and a place for that and it was fun you know all the bands that uh, accused friends of betraying them and getting revenge and that just that wasn't (laughs) me man so yeah it was at that point i promised myself there wasn't anything i was going to scream about that i didn't back and endorse or believe And not only that, but I was going to do my own authentic vocals now. I was ditching the low guttural. It was too much effort, and it was part of that facade, too. For sure. I was building myself up to be something that I wasn't. So that's when I went to kind of the higher pitch tone that a lot of people know me for now. And, yeah, yeah, man, we jammed, and it just felt great. So go
0: ahead. I I still remember from hearing you with Despite Despair, those times I was like, oh, this – person's voice is amazing um, so I'm glad that you discovered that as early as you did yeah that. but that is like it's I've never heard anyone talk about it I've never had this conversation but you really go through a process of discovering your own identity as a vocalist yeah yeah you find your voice just
1: literally and I mean yeah. we've talked about this before we're both I'm a big fan of stand-up comedy and comedians and mm-hmm. there's a common phrase that like the first 10 years you just usually suck. Cause you're playing <laughs> this caricature of right. a hacky comedian. You're trying, you know, to be the, uh, you know, the Adrian Brody uh, or not uh, Brody Stevens. I mean, not Adrian Brody, <laughs> um, <laughs> Billy Hackett and, and all of these, these early comedians until you arrive at your right. own voice. Right. And, and it just, it's all about putting in reps and that time. And I I, I think just being self-aware, having that awareness to analyze and and change and kind of chisel away at that marble a little bit show by show rehearsal by rehearsal writing session by writing session right and i'm really glad i arrived at that conclusion for myself because when i got in the room with them we jammed i was already friends with all of these guys it just it just clicked man yeah. i remember we finished one of the three songs and we looked around and and tig or trevor on the drums just went oh holy shit yeah, let's, let's just keep going, man. Uh-huh. And and, cool. and it helped that the first song we jammed is, the song's pretty much lost now. It was recorded once on their early demo before I joined. We mm-hmm. re-recorded it for our first EP and scrapped it, but it was called Guilt Trap. Mm-hmm. And the, the first line, it's a vocal-driven song to start with vocals. It, 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 the whole band screams those wasted fucking days. And to... <laughs> To paint a crude picture out of it, it's literally about being a pubescent boy and feeling like I want to die and I'm going to hell for masturbating in my bed and <laughs> crying myself to sleep because I felt God's eternal damnation sure. on my head. And then, you know, uh, reclaiming the power and making a promise to yourself and almost a, a song of celebration that I'm never going to feel that I'm not good enough ever again. And I'm never going to feel bad for basic human instinct and thought and, and 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 all of these things that that's in our DNA that makes us human. Yeah. And that really resonated with me, right? Like growing up in a in a pretty strict LDS household. So.
0: Hundred percent. I,
1: I was I was feeling it. The band was feeling it. And by the end of the second song, Carlos turns to me and goes, "Dude, are you just going to be in our band or not?" <laughs> and and and. and that started there, man. We played our first show together about a, a week or so later with Reviver uh, and
0: I think Loom down, down in Provo. Yeah, yeah. Mike Kundick's Band, another amazing Provo guitarist, speaking of Provo guitarists. Mm-hmm. was that show with Reviver and Loom? Or when was that? Um, that was, oh, man, I
1: want to say August. 2009 at
0: Muse, Muse Music and Provo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I remember, Wait, how long did you run with the Despite Despair Machine? So I was with them from, yeah, that summer of 2009
1: till about late summer of 2012. So right Sorry. around three years. Um, we recorded two EPs, the Victims of Vultures EP and then the, uh, the Gunner split that, w- that we did with Gunner called Unyoke. That's right. So in that time, I mean, we had played a lot of shows. I had left because uh, 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 Courtney and I found out we were having our, our, our first son. And I just, mm-hmm. I needed to take a break. They were getting more serious about touring. And I yeah. just, I couldn't commit at that point. Didn't want to hold them back. So I did leave at that point. Um, but funny enough... Uh halfway through kind of my tenure, that first stint with the band, um, we were supposed to go on tour uh, with Reviver. They
0: uh-huh.
1: went and did the East Coast with Caravels,
0: uh-huh. and they
1: were going to pick us up on the way back. We were uh-huh. supposed to meet them in Denver or something like that and go the rest of the two weeks with them. And I still give Matt shit till this day, but uh, they ended up having to cancel on us the night before. we were we were packed up money saved work off oh man rare in the go man and it just it just wasn't feasible for them to to continue on so it's all a joke there's there's, there was never any hard feelings but well uh, that was supposed to be our our big ticket out of here you know
0: you learn quickly over those first tours how hard it is Mm -hmm. and how many variables there there are Mm -hmm. um Like that it's, I think like the funnest experiences of my life all took place on tour and the hardest experiences of my life up until becoming a father um, Mm -hmm. also all took place on tour and you learn a lot. Like, I I mean, I have memories of doing my first tour with Charles, speaking of Charles Bogus in a band Mm -hmm. when we were like 17 and then taking Matt out on his first tour, like getting permission from his mom because he was like 16 at the time to come out with chairman aftermath.
1: Yeah. Like
0: like the there's a thread there of like I think for anyone who has the interest in doing that, you have to do it. You have to you have to get out and play shows and and try it, whether it's successful or not, whether it all falls apart or not. Um, it's like a rite of passage in a way. Sure.
1: Well I mean, were there any skills or You know, life experience that you gained in your life now or in fatherhood, things that you had
0: learned through that trial and error on the road and whatnot? Oh, man. Do you want me to answer that? Hell yeah. Um, I I learned a lot about my brain and my ability to be effective um, because, you know, one of the first places where I started to see people who were really responsible and had their shit together, like Trevor Hale. Um, was on tour with Trevor Hale, where you know that that man literally kept tours going, he kept bands going, like he's very focused, very disciplined. Um, so for me, a lot of touring, and and even when I was playing in bands, touring full time, like I saw examples of of people who who function the way I wanted to function, um, and and for me, growing up, like classic case ADD, like all over the place. Um, I learned on tour that it's easy for me to spin out of control. So one of the yeah. things that I, that I took from touring was the importance of having those people around you that like bolster your strengths and that you can learn from. Um, how about yourself? What have you taken from being in a band that you've carried yeah, forward?
1: Man. Uh, adaptability and compromise. Sure. Mean, it's several people coming together with different ideas and different vantage points life experiences you know different musical tastes and coming together to make something unique right mm-hmm. Your the band is the amalgamation of, of all of these people and experiences coming together so there is that give and take there is there's that there's that compromise and that's why it's so much more rewarding to see the fruits of your labor in in the, in the way of a new single or release or successful show tour, whatever it is. Right. Because, yeah. you know, the hours and effort and uh, sometimes <laughs> arguments and hurt feelings mm-hmm. or whatnot come, come with that lay of the land. Right. And just a lot of patience, man. There's, there's, there, there. there's patience that that comes into really, polishing things and and getting it to where it should be. I think sometimes uh, hardcore is all too guilty of blowing your wad too early on (laughs) things in the way of playing songs that aren't ready or burning all of your new material before the release and, you know, jumping the gun, uh, playing shows when you're not ready, you're not rehearsed, things like that. So
0: yeah,
1: yeah, man, lots, lots of patience too,
0: that that I, that I definitely had to learn. That's for sure. Yeah, I think that's that's a big part of my learnings from it as well, and and it's one of the things that's made me a better grown up, adult mm-hmm. father, professional, mm-hmm. is that seeing the importance of planning, and seeing how you know how differently something can go if you take the time to plan it out, and and produce it and launch it effectively. Um, there's still times for just like you know losing your mind but when you're doing that with a little discipline around it um, mm-hmm. i don't know that's yeah that, that's a big one i've never been asked that question like how did touring and bands affect me as an adult but a lot i mean that's one of a million things i could say i learned from growing up in hardcore that makes yeah. me a better person today it's a big question yeah,
1: and there, there's there's the added layer of most of it being the diy ethos for not so much dependent on other people right We're filling these roles and wearing different hats and just figuring out how to make this
0: shit work, so a lot yeah. of trial and error along the way, so yeah, yeah that alone is so huge because you know growing up in music, if people don't have that education and doing things themselves and that commitment um they'll you'll you'll just wait around for someone else to help you out, and if that doesn't happen, people just stop mhm- yeah, no, absolutely man. So speaking of making stuff happen, um, the what was the origin? Tell me about the origins of Absolved. What was the first conversation about that starting?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, let me back up just a little bit. Uh, yeah. Just just to finish out what we were doing before we, I, I got you on that tangent. <laughs> um, so I, I'd love to spite and spare in 2012. They went on with our buddy Tyson. Uh, that's a good vocalist, even better bass player. He played in bands like Starvest and uh, Former Tides and a couple other uh, Provo bands and whatnot. And then um, after a while, they kind of stopped doing their thing. And then we reunited Sam's Carlos on guitar. We were just a four-piece band to play Brad's Benefit Show Okay. in, in 2015. So it was kind of supposed to be a one-off, but we ended up just keeping it going for probably about a year or so.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: played a couple different shows. We played like Cult Leaders album release show. We played with uh, a couple shows, like a show uh, Blistered and a Feather and Bone and a couple other fun shows, and then that ended, and thus kind of sprouted from there. Um, Brett really taking the helm on on everything with that Geist record and sure. getting a, almost a whole new lineup together. And that I mean, band I- has been that lineup for longer than all of the other lineups combined. So yeah, right. that's, 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 despite Despair's final form and I <laughs> love everything about it. Shout out their new um, EP Hexen. It is yeah mind blowing, especially the title track. So
0: check that out everyone. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you had a seed after that sort of revival of Despite Despair that there was another hardcore band you'd sing in. So what was the what was the impetus for Absolved? Yeah, man. Um,
1: it definitely started this itch that I knew that I needed to scratch and to creatively follow something new. Um, uh, a lot of it really comes down to Mike. Mm-hmm. It, it, it does, man. I mean, me and him got, um, became pretty good friends when he was with uh, Hitchhiker. Hitchhiker and Despite Despair played a lot together back in the day. And then after the second stint with Despite Despair, um, consistently throughout the next three, four years on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, I would consistently get comments from Mike saying, start a band, (laughs) just three words, start a band. That was it. And it (laughs) turned into hashtag, hashtag help Jake start a band
0: 2019,
1: (laughs) 2020, whatever year it was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was always in the back of my head, like, yo, does Mike actually want to start a band with me? Because he's someone that's been on my checklist for a long time to create music with. Um, i actually I knew I wanted to play music with him since I saw two of close play for the first time, man. actually with you folks in city to city two thousand nine yeah man they we were playing Grimlock covers and it was it was a fun time, but there was something about Mike man, the way that he owned his guitar and and, and just played and just he had mm-hmm. this just sense of confidence to him that a lot of people didn't have. Sure. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, clowning on anyone. I'm not pointing fingers, but there was a time in Salt Lake and there were, um, you know, there was a time where it was kind of cool to be o- overtly goofy and be like, Oh, we suck. We didn't practice. It's what happens when you don't <laughs> practice it. as a band for six months. Let's try to get this done. You know what I mean? And there was <laughs> yes. never a shred of that with, with Mike. He owned that shit. I'll never forget. He had a Guns N' Roses shirt on and Mm. he had a backwards flat brim hat on and he (laughs) was just in the groove, in the pocket, making it happen. I remember thinking like, oh, this this dude owns what he does. So fast forward those years later, getting those comments from him, I I was secretly hoping he meant start a band with me because I would have said yes immediately or if he truly (laughs) was just nudging me to go find... Some other poor souls to right. hammer with my my shitty humor, um, <laughs> but it come to turn out, man. Uh, uh, summer 2021, he finally messaged me and said, "Dude, I have some demo songs. Are we gonna do this or not?" Uh-huh. And it was almost like having that lifelong crush of like, "Oh man, <laughs> I've been wait- you know how long I've been waiting for you to say yes. that to me." Let the romance begin. And he's like, so what are you thinking of doing? And I said, you know, lately I've been listening to a lot of like early ceremony, dangers, fall silent. I want to maybe do something chaotic. That's truly what I thought I I wanted to do at that point. He's like, well, let me send you what I have. And he Mm -hmm. sent me the bare bone first, just a couple riff drafts of what turned into Breathe New Life. Okay, And I heard those melodic chord progressions. And yeah. even though they're programmed drums, I could see the direction it was going. And, and it sparked that same feelings of, of just euphoria that I had listening to those melodic hardcore bands years before, like I had said earlier, right? Sure. You know, bands like uh, you know, Go It Alone, Sinking Ships, Come Back Kids, Set It Straight, stuff like that, that really helped me fall in love. With the idea of just grassroots DIY hardcore, totally. and I knew that like this was going to be something, something that I could really sink my teeth into and be passionate about, man. Like it, it just felt right, and um, that's that's really where it started. And we had been racking our brains of like, who do we get to drum? What about bass? Another guitar? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it all looked good on paper, but there was still so much work to be done. Fleshing out a lineup and actually, you know, getting some more meat on these bones. And Nick had been my friend for quite a while. I met him when he was with Chain Down. He was just this young kid that I was super impressed with. And I had always thought and observed that he played his drums in the same manner and stance that Jay Weinberg does of Mm. Conan O'Brien's band that I grew up (laughs) watching on late night TV. Okay. He has he has the toms and the cymbals down low, and he sits up high and just owns his shit. And I always thought Nick played like him, and yeah. just like Mike, I knew someday I, I wanted to be in a band with that kid.
0: Yeah, he he's just phenomenal. Got on,
1: man, that first chain like, down record, he yeah. he wrote, recorded everything, taught himself how to play. You know, So um, I hit him up, and it was just it was just it was a hail mary. It was a shot in the dark. I'm like, hey, man, I know you're busy with VTN. I know you probably have a million other bands in your career. Would you be down to at least just jam and help us kind of, you know, fill out these songs a little bit? Yeah. And funny enough, Mike had actually pitched these songs to him, and they had jammed it once a couple of years before. Okay. So that song had been in the hopper for, for years, just waiting for the right mm-hmm. people in the right lineup. And yeah we we got together and after the first jam session we knew i don't know something special had just happened you know we we found the right people the right lineup the the pieces were were all in the right place things were pretty copacetic um as is and we just we we ran with it, man we fleshed out demoed and got recorded our first ep the Eldar ep mm-hmm. within uh, you know just just a few months of it just being just, just the three of us. Yeah. We just ran with it and it was everything that I hoped it would be and everything that I needed it to be Mm -hmm. in my life. Right. Like that cathartic emotional release. And for sure, you know, you probably understand now as a musician, the, the words that you put to paper and that you sing and scream about change throughout the years with, with your life experience. And it's a reflection of what's going on. sure in in your life at that time and you know emotionally and i i was at a very different place than i was as a younger kid i was now you know family man two two boys a wife you know a career trying to keep a family afloat and wanted to you know talk and and sing and scream about what life was about to me here in this point in time and the shit that matters to me and, and the things that i I want to put out into the ether to be uh, hopefully remembered for for a, a time to come. And all I ever wanted to do was make music that made people feel something the same way that I felt something, listening to uh-huh. uh, you know all, all those hardcore bands that I loved, listening to you know Whitney Houston and Tony Braxton when <laughs> I was a kid, you know and uh-huh. it almost seemed too good to be true that all the stars were lined up and And this shit was really happening with two dudes that I always wanted to make music with. And it was exactly what, what I needed and built out the lineup. And and, and we're here now.
0: You feel it. I mean, you feel it in that first release. Like you, you meant it like the, the, there's like, there's moments with bands where you kind of see them in like the growing phase. And I think you guys might've been the time it Mm -hmm. took that went into that EP. But you guys arrived fully formed. Um, I know you're you're you guys probably don't think that, and you're still pushing and changing and evolving things. But the way that that EP showed up and your first shows showed up, you know, you knew what you knew why you were doing it and what you were doing, and I think that's why people have reacted mm-hmm. to it so viscerally. So yeah, we we recruited Cody
1: first. He had actually been playing uh, with a band, a pop punk band called Untamed Engine. Funny enough, uh, Nick actually had recorded a couple singles for that band. And Cody had actually just joined the band almost right before heading into the studio. Um, And Nick had just realized that this dude was just a solid guitar player, whether it was rhythm or lead. He just, he had like a musical theory uh, just... Undertone to everything that he did. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like he he understood exactly why things were in in the order that they were. He understood chord progression and theory and all of that stuff, um, and it, it it impressed him. So he actually asked Cody, "Would you be down to come jam with us?" And it it, it turned it turned out well. He show, showed up, knew already one one or two songs right off the bat, and. Um, just by sheer happenstance his other band broke up almost like immediately they were kind (laughs) of uh, you know at the tail end with their swan song anyway so we kind of just fully took him over and from there we actually reached out to a ton of different bassists and got an astounding
0: amount of no's (laughs) which (laughs) is surprising because I think sometimes I think a lot of people are probably kicking themselves over that now bass comes with a connotation Maybe who knows?
1: I'm not here to point any fingers. I, a lot of people were busy or had other projects, you know. And yeah, sometimes it can be hard to take a chance on on something new. And I'm like, dude, what what about Tyson? You know? Yeah, they'd played in bands together. They were in Two of clothes and a couple other projects together. And made made a call. Him and Mike jammed a couple times, and and you know the rest is history. He showed up, and it felt insane for the first time having a full band lineup jamming these songs that we had already been working on for seven months and feeling like oh everything led up to this point right like awesome now is the full experience now life begins right that's when we took on that benefit show a little bit after releasing the ep and and came in you know full full force with it so yeah that's how they
0: came came along with it nice so we've arrived at the then what's next question and we've already been talking for an hour, so let's uh, let's close on what's next for Absolved. <laughs> and there's definitely a chapter two of this conversation in the cards. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, man. What's next is we really in
1: 2023. We're we're taking this shit up to, to the next level. I mean, we're we're taking it a lot more serious. Um, granted, we had a lot of time restriction as far as other people's schedules in 2022, you know, Mike being busy with uh, Mandalore. They had that whole Central America tour that took so much meticulous planning. Obviously Nick with the freaking Salt Lake's hardest working band, victim of none, consistently touring, putting out singles, opening every big touring package coming through the state, you know, I mean, really repping
0: and putting up for Salt Lake consistently. Not yes. not to mention Nick recording like 20 albums this year, including like half the hardcore records in <laughs> Utah.
1: Yeah, man. I love it. I, I love it so much. And it's such a, it's such a, he's such an asset to have in the band, man. Not only because, because he has just connections with everyone, but like he's consistently, grinding and sharpening the ax of his craft and and honing his musical ear and sound and getting those experiences every day. But um, so, yeah, we we were dealing with schedules around all of that. And, you know, I think we've all really um, have committed to making this an even further priority in 2023. Obviously, we're coming out the gate with our new EP um, officially titled uh, At the Close. That will be released on January 27th. Um, Anywhere you you stream your music, we're having a single from that album come out on the 7th. So, uh, whenever this drops, you know, in just a matter of days or a week or so, whatever, that that single will be coming out. And um, the single is is titled uh, the the Helm, and that features uh, Chuck Paletta from from Snake Eyes doing doing a verse on it on probably probably the hardest song, heaviest song we'll ever make. Um <laughs> I needed some of the best, heaviest, most ignorant vocals on it that I could. And dude, <laughs> Chuck totally chomped at the bit to to get on it. And shit, it's it's played well. We've played the song live twice now. Once with him and and kids, kids popped off, man. Uh, a good song. <laughs> on our new eight five six uh Yes, it's so good, man. At the, at the end of that song on the new Hate 5-6 set that Sonny came and recorded, on the last note, you hear somebody from the back of the room of 400 kids go, what the fuck? It's not here, it's not now. Then-